Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our ninth episode of 2024. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. You know, a lot is going on in Washington. You know, Congress is facing two shutdown deadlines, March 1st and March 8th, after passing a short-term funding bill in January. If a shutdown does happen, then leadership will likely work to pass another short-term bill to continue working out major issues. You know, it becomes more difficult to include additional funding programs like ACP if this happens, but we'll continue to encourage Congress to allocate additional funding for the ACP program, which is supposed to run out of funding in April. You know, last week, the FCC issued the Section uh, Section 706 report. The report raises commission's fixed broadband benchmark from 25.3 to a whopping 100 by 20. Surprise, surprise. I guess we have to always look to the past. Um, and we all, it also increases the short-term benchmark for schools and classroom to one gigabit per 1,000 students and staff. And reports that 74% of the school districts already meet this short-term goal. The Fiber Broadband Association's next regional Fiber Connect workshop will be held in Little Rock, Arkansas on Tuesday, April 16th. Registration is going to be is going strong, so please sign up today. You're not going to want to miss that. Um, after Little Rock, we'll be in Deer Valley in June, Des Moines in September, Albuquerque in November, and of course, our big Fiber Connect 2024 conference will be in Nashville, July 28 to 31. That brings us today's Fiber Breakfast session with Tom Cohen, the Fiber Broadband Association's Chief Regulatory and General Counsel and partner at Kelly Dry. He's going to be discussing NTI Build America, Buy America, BABA, final waiver, what you really need to know. You know, last week on Fire for Breakfast, our guest was Kevin Sheehan, the CTO of Americas for Siena, where he discussed pond modules and terabyte plugs, a synergistic approach to access networks. In today's Fire for Breakfast session, Tom Cohen, the Fiber Broadband Association's Chief Regulatory and General Counsel and partner at Kelly Dry, will be discussing NTI's BABA final waiver, what you really need to know. Tom has more than 30 years of experience. Now, I know that's a lie, Tom, because I've known you for almost 30 years. So you must have about It's gone way beyond that now, Gary. <laughs> anyway, first as a government policymaker serving for over a decade as Assistant General Counsel for Legislation at the FCC and as Senior Counsel for the Senate Commerce Committee. He then was a founder and principal in firms assessing and developing communications properties and advising businesses. At Kelly Dry, Tom assists clients with a variety of aspects of communication law, including federal and state administrative and legislative advocacy, business-related legal matters, and litigation. Tom has served as the Fiber Broadband Association's Chief Regulatory and General Counsel since the association's inception over two decades ago. Uh, well, welcome, Tom. And for our audience, please type in your questions as you go. We already have like 30 questions, so keep typing. Um, so with that, let's turn it over to Tom. Well, thanks, Gary. And, and next time we'll shorten that intro. You know, I'm I'm here, as Gary said, as the 
fiber broadband associations, legal counsel, general counsel. I am not your legal counsel for each of you out there. If you want legal advice, go to your counsel. And quite frankly, as the questions have already shown, the ones that have come in, there's still a lot of room to uh, ask for clarification or what does this mean? We'll try to help with that. But I have to say, this is sort of an instant reaction. The uh, release was last Friday. We've all been scrambling since then. But this is going to be more play-by-play -play than color commentary as we do this. Uh, a few other things to keep in mind as we do this in terms of the impact. First, uh, as probably most of you know, you know, fiber builds are mainly labor construction projects. And I urge you all to read the Fiber Broadband Association's uh, annual deployment report. About 70% is labor. And we've had lots of questions from people, service providers who are thinking of participating in the BEAD program about what's the impact of the labor provisions and alike. So, you know, labor is sort of the top of the list. Uh, fiber is the next biggest category, 15% or so, and everything else is the remainder out there. So as you think about the impact of what we're here to talk about, keep that in, in a sense in context. Also, these rules are unique to the BEAD program. They are not for any other federal program. In fact, RUS on February 21 came out with its own uh, Build America, Buy America rules. Uh, these, in effect, are the same ones they've had before, uh, particularly for private entities who are looking for reconnect money. And uh, applications for that are going to be coming in over the uh, end of the first into the second quarter. But the rules that reconnect are different. Uh, in a sense, they're more lenient. Uh, in addition, this does not apply to the FCC. RDOF, ACAM, CAF, you name it. FCC has no rules on uh, Build America, Buy America. Again, that's so we're focused here today on the BEAD program. And as you think about this particular waiver, keep in mind uh, stuff has already come before this out of the Office of Management and Budget last August here, where they go through quite a bit about fiber optic and fiber optic cable. So what we're going to talk about in those areas today are sort of a tweak to what we've seen already from OMB. Uh, and these rules are, are fundamental. Uh, also, we'll talk about the de minimis waiver that's already been put out by the Department of Commerce. And we have a slide on that. So there's, in other words, there are materials before this uh, that you got to keep in mind. So now let's turn to what uh, Commerce NTIA issued last Friday, the 23rd. Uh, this is, let's go back a slide. There we go. Let's see here. Start here. So they finally issued their waiver 
of BABA, Build America, Buy America, Domestic Content Procurement Preference for the BEAD program. People have been expecting this for a couple of months. Uh, it's finally came out. Uh, many of our members worked a lot with NTIA and Commerce, Will Arbuckle and others. It was a great dialogue back and forth about all of this and we appreciate what they've done. Uh, you know, it's not an easy issue. And as we go through the particular uh, aspects of the uh, waiver, you'll understand that. That does not mean there isn't room for clarification. And if you have issues or questions, my sense is, is uh, Will and NTIA have an open door to hear further about this. Now, the waiver is a five-year waiver. Uh, because that tracks with the bead program uh, and its build-out timeline. But uh, the Department of Commerce will review it annually to see if changes should be made. Now, practically, uh, I expect awards at the bead program to come earliest third quarter this year, more fourth quarter, and potentially beyond. It gives you a sense of, you know, equipment procurement and alike. That said, uh, NTIA in its part 200 guidance, the, which is known as the procurement guidance, has said that, uh, that the providers do not need to do an RFP to procure vendors. They can work with them in the application. And so I expect that dialogue with the service providers and vendors now really to begin in earnest. Challenge processes are going on. Uh, we expect what's known as the volume twos of awards applications to go soon. So um, that dialogue will happen as well. Uh, and this guidance is critical. Okay, let's get into it. Next slide. Um, these are terms of art for Build America, Buy America, construction materials. And again, this was largely discussed uh, by OMB last August when it put out its guidance. So what's clear is all optic glass used in manufacturing must meet this standard where all manufacturing processes from initial batching and melting of raw materials through annealing, cooling, and cutting occur in the U.S. Now, in this uh, guidance that just came out, this waiver, the Department of Commerce waives application of the preference for non-optic glass inputs and over-cylinder uh, to the preform manufacturing process. As for optic fiber cable, again, manufacturing must occur in the US from the initial ribboning through buffering, fiber stranding, and jack jacketing. The Department of Commerce, uh, though, came out and said that fiber optic cable connectors do not need to be manufactured nor attached to the cable in the US. So these are the glosses that uh, Commerce and TIA has put on the uh, advice already given by OMB. So now we're gonna move from construction materials to manufactured products. 
And with manufactured products, there are two overall requirements in the statute. 55% of the value must be in the U.S., must be made in the U.S., and uh, the product must be manufactured in the U.S. Here, uh, NTIA is providing a lot of guidance in each area. Uh, and so with electronics, uh, is the first category and in their proposal from last August they kind of set forth these categories of OLTs, OLT line cards, optic pluggables and stand standalone ONTs and ONUs uh, and here they acknowledge because of the semiconductors and alike 55% of the cost of the components are not going to be made in the US, won't happen. So they waive that. Next slide. But what they do is deal with the manufacturing process. And we've seen since last August or so, announcements by various electronics vendors about moving manufacturing to the US. And so these are the manufacturing process for each of those four categories. We'll go through them. OLTs, the uh, PCB assembly uh, is required in the US. Uh, the software integration in the US, chassis assembly, testing, quality assurance, packing and shipping, all need to occur in the US. Next slide for line cards. Again, what has to occur in the US? PCB assembly, line card assemblies, again, software integration, chassis assembly, testing and quality assistance, assurance and packaging and shipping. Uh, next slide, optic pluggables. Uh, again, the optical subassembly installation must be in the US. Housing assembly. And then again, software integration, testing and quality assurance, and packaging and shipping. Uh, it's important to note that the waiver requirements uh, capture only subscriber-facing optic pluggables, uh, is what they're just, you know covering here. And then finally, next slide on ONUs, uh, OLTs, ONTs. Again. The printed circuit board assembly, the software integration, chassis assembly, testing, quality assurance, packaging, and shipping. As you can see, for each of these categories, uh, it's almost all the back end work needs to occur in the US. Now, there's one exception. Next slide. And these are combined ONTs, OLUs. DOC, the Department of Commerce, concluded here that these are mostly made overseas and will not be made here because of the economics. And therefore, they are waiving entirely uh, the application of the Buy America domestic procurement preference here. Uh, so this is sort of a new ruling out of uh, NTIA, uh, based on the comments that came in. Okay, next slide. We're going to move over to other categories of uh, manufactured products, other equipment. Uh, this is fixed wireless and other non-fiber electronics. And they 
clarify here that the electronics waiver we just, just discussed applies to comparable electronics used in fixed wireless and other types of deployments. And here are examples of them, radios, power management assistant systems, antennas, um, and alike. And again, these need to be manufactured in the US. This was the major area of debate. Anybody who goes back to what um, NTIA put out last August knows the fiber category and fiber cable and the electronics categories were pretty well baked. They just needed to tweak them. But when it came to enclosures, it was all open. Uh, there was an incredible discussion, I know from a lot of Fiber Broadband Association members about the fact that so much of this uh, manufacturing was occurring in Mexico and uh, what should be done in the U.S. And here, in contrast to the electronics waiver, they declined to waive the 55% cost of components requirements. So the value must meet that level for all enclosures. Now, what they do, however, is say, now let's talk about what manufacturing must occur in the US. And for cabinets, vaults, pedestals, um, the following processes. Here you integrate sub-assemblies, install internal components um, and hardware wiring, seal waterproof test label document. Uh, and for closures and terminals, the manufacturing of the molded outer shell must be conducted within the US. So other than that, the manufacturing processes can be elsewhere. These manufacturing processes must be in the US. Here for passive optical equipment, the FCC, just like we were talking before, about uh, combined uh, ONTs and alike. They figure it's not gonna be made here. It's a small amount of overall network spending. So manufacturers really won't have much incentive to move it here. They are therefore waiving entirely application of the domestic procurement preference for passive optical equipment. And I know there were some equipment people asking in one of the questions, you know, what do you mean by that? Um, I think right now you don't get a lot of definition in the waiver. Uh, I would think you would go with what is standard in the industry, but again, you can go back to commerce if you want clarification. So now we come to this vast category of other network equipment, conduit, mounting brackets, patch panels, nuts and bolts, whatever else is out there, a ton of it. Um, the Department of Commerce uh, says in this category, uh, they figure almost everything is gonna fit within the de minimis waiver. Uh, in, in other words, it's just got, not going to amount to all of that much. Thus, this waiver does not apply to these types of other network equipment. and uh, in order to keep track of it, to make sure it's below the de minimis threshold, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, states 
service providers who get grants must keep track of uh, where it came from and the value of all of these hardware items. Uh, and as well, uh, they don't think a lot of iron and steel products uh, will be used uh, here. Uh, so they expect this too will fit within the de minimis waiver uh, for most projects. Okay, next slide. Here's the de minimis waiver uh, that I said came out before. And in general, it is a waiver uh, totaling up to 5% of the total applicable project cost up to a maximum of $1 million. Some people think if you have a large bead project, you may go beyond this, uh, but uh, that is right now what the de minimis waiver standard has been set at. And again, this was set a year or so ago by the Department of Commerce. Uh, there are other categories here for small grants and alike uh, and minor deviations uh, for iron and steel products. But overall, the standard is 5% of total applicable project costs up to $1 million. A lot of people have asked, what about free trade agreements and other agreements? And this was talked about already in the OMB guidance. And all you're getting here in this waiver is repeating what already came out. That is, here a number of states have opted to obligate themselves in their procurement to the terms of international trade agreements. And again, BEAD is a program where states are going to be giving out the money. So if a state has assumed these obligations, it may then go to commerce and seek a public interest waiver. But they need to go and engage in that activity. And we've provided here the uh, OMB guidance on that issue uh, initially and the supplemental guidance. But that's how the free trade agreements will, in effect, uh, get implemented as part of the bead program. Uh, next slide, this is the last one. There are other requirements. One, all equipment that is going to be used needs to be reported to uh, Commerce NTIA. You need to certify that the equipment that you're selling to sub-recipients, service providers getting bead money, uh, meet what we just talked about. And NTIA is going to keep a list of this. So this is under the category of uh, trust and verify is what it is. This is not just trust. So you'll need to report that. In addition, uh, for projects, uh, service providers will need to report uh, their purchases from foreign sources and document that as well. So there's a lot more going on here. So with that, Gary, I think we have five minutes less left for a rapid fire session of uh, questions. And I'll see if I can answer any of them. Hey, so just going back to that last question about certifying, we saw with the 
RUS, the self-certification, you know, kind of an eye roll there, um, not much teeth in it, but it looks like NTIA, um, you could be facing fines and imprisonment if um, you self-certify and you're found not to be compliant. Is that well, correct? Actually, yeah, Gary, um, NTIA says in the waiver, there is going to be further guidance. They will put out about, you know, how you self-certify and what you need to attest to and it'll be a senior officer of a company has to do it so this is for real so someone's going to jail if they find that you're uh, not compliant again as i said at the beginning i'm not your lawyer uh, okay so how does a service buyer know what products are compliant they're going to go to an nti list and how do what's the process to getting that on the list does that start from the states and move up or yeah i mean First of all, we'll, you know, I think we'll get further guidance on the list. You know, the, again, to me, the process is that as service providers are preparing their application, they're going to be vetting vendors. And they're going to be going to them saying, okay, give me what's your list of products here and prices and alike. And they're going to be saying, does it comply? And if I'm of a service provider, I'm going to a vendor saying, uh, is it on the NTIA list and alike? Have you already gone through that? Because I'm not buying anything that isn't. I'm not going to take that risk. All right. So this is going to try to hit these questions as fast as possible. What's your interpretation of the requirements to integrate subassemblies for enclosures and vaults, et cetera? Here we go. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, you know, I'm trying to see what these questions are here. Sorry. Um, you know, we just went through what they need to do in terms of uh, these types of processes in the U.S. You know, I think you need to try to do as much integration of the piece parts of an enclosure in the U.S. All right. Can you clarify what you meant when you said FCC has no rules related to BABA? They don't. They don't. The F BABA doesn't apply to the FCC, to RDOF, ACAM, and alike. Um, those providers who get that funding can spend it however they want. It's up to them. All right. Um, regarding construction materials, where do plastic materials fall, such as jacketing, et cetera? It's mentioned that it needs to be produced in the U.S., but does that mean that the plastic material needs to come from the U.S.? Oh, boy. Let me go back. I need to go to my cheat sheets on this one. Um, yeah, that's a tough one because the argon, all that other stuff. I mean, yeah. Gary, you know, they issue a waiver for non-optic glass. These are glass inputs. This is, um, you know, and all. This is for the fiber itself. They figure it's a minor element. Um, for the fiber optic cable, all manufacturing processes also include the standards that we already heard for glass, but not for non-ferrous metals, plastic and polymer-based products and alike. ONTs with this extra features, you know, it says BABA compliance is fully waived. Is that accurate? Especially for those specialized ONTs based on like G.HN for coax or twisted pair or, you know, other Wi-Fi or other things that might be connected. You know, this is a point of clarification that you, you should go back there. But these are what they know are standalone ONTs, ONUs. You know, they give out the processes for that. I think if you have anything that is highly specialized, and I know 
uh, vendors have them. Uh, I would go back and check on it. I would be, you know, again, you're going to need to self-certify that it complies. And if you are not sure, I would go back and check before your, you know, officer of your company signs anything. All right. Yeah, we don't want anybody in jail. All right. Well, yeah. Tom, I know we have a million questions here, but uh, we're out of time. But thanks so much. We appreciate you sharing your expertise and insights on BABA and on, on so many of the complex topics and requirements coming out of D.C. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today. We're going to get back together next Wednesday, where our guest will be uh, Shen Fai Wang from the industry research firm CRU. He's going to share his latest study entitled Global Optical Cable Demand is Poised to Grow Again in 2024. So I looked at some of the data. It's really interesting, so you, you won't want to miss that. So thanks, everyone. We'll try to get to a lot of these questions and send them via email, but thanks, everyone. <laughs>